attention. The coiling in the stomach as she considers this evening's summer party comes, she knows, from a fear that she might fail. She has planned carefully, but there is always the possibility that what she has set out to do will be thwarted, that her arrangements may prove inadequate, or that her fractious, fractured family will refuse to do as she wants, will refuse even to turn up. This may be my last birthday. One never knows at my age. She has used emotional blackmail, played the frail old lady card more than once these past weeks. The day may still slip away from her, receding into the distance like Camilla's running figure. She is afraid that she will falter, that she will lack the grit to confront the past, and that she will be left standing on the sand while Camilla looks down at her and laughs her last triumphant laugh. She is afraid that her heart, which her doctor, who is young and tactless, describes as flabby, will not hold out, and she will never know the truth. She feels anxiety surging through her like the waves of the sea, and she closes her eyes and tries to breathe deeply. She has taken to going once a week to yoga classes at the village hall, herself and half a dozen young mothers trying to lose their baby weight, and she recites in her head the instructions of her bouncy young instructress, to relax each muscle in turn, to breathe from the diaphragm, not the chest, to empty the mind. Her mind drifts, and she is at Rosendale again. She is walking through the garden, away from the guests who spill onto the loggia and the terrace. The music, some old song, becomes distant as she follows the path of the stream towards the trees. A hard, white moon has turned the grass to iron shreds, and the purple candles of the rhododendrons seem luminous. The lights of the house recede, and now, in the disjointed manner of dreams, she is walking beneath the holm oaks, and the wet ferns are brushing against her ankles. There is the sound of the sea, the rich, salty smell of it, and she is standing on the clifftop, and dizzyingly far below her the waves are pounding against the rocks. She must have slept, because she is woken by the phone ringing, her heart beating fast, flabbily, Esme thinks crossly. She pulls on her dressing gown and hurries downstairs. Zoe nags her to have a second telephone installed in the bedroom, but Esme won't hear of it the expense. And besides, she is of a generation that regards the telephone with respect and a little dread, to be used sparingly or in cases of urgency. She is breathing hard by the time she reaches the foot of the stairs, and her right hip hurts. She picks up the receiver and says her name. Mum, it's only me. Nothing to worry about. Zoe's voice. Happy birthday. Thank you, darling. Sorry to ring so early, but I've got a lot to get through today. By the way, Philippe's coming. Philippe? You remember? Coral's father? The patronising tone of the young, prompting the unreliable recollection of the old. He telephoned last night asking if he could come to the party. It's going to be a surprise, so he mustn't tell Melissa or Coral. Zoe sounds distracted. Esme imagines her daughter running her eyes over a row of figures as she talks, the telephone receiver jammed between shoulder and chin. Of course, darling. Tired and apprehensive, Esme remembers to say, It's good of you to do this, Zoe. It's no trouble. Three o'clock then, Mum. Esme is about to make her farewells when Zoe says suddenly, I'm still surprised. Surprised you wanted it at Rosendell. Are you? says Esme vaguely. Well, no matter. I'd better go and pick out some clothes. Haven't you packed? Esme knows that Zoe will have planned her weekend outfits days in advance, 
will have organised her suitcase after finishing work on Friday and will have folded her party frock between layers of tissue paper so that it does not crease. She says soothingly, It won't take me a minute. I'll be standing on the doorstep, case in hand, I promise. She ends the call. It is a quarter past seven in the morning, and the garden is at its most beautiful early in the day, so she puts on a Macintosh over her nightdress and dressing gown, sticks her feet into a pair of wellies and goes outside. Sunshine makes diamonds out of the dewdrops on the grass. There is only a small square of grass. She dislikes lawns, all that tedious business of mowing and feeding. But she has naturalised cowslips and fritillaries, and in spring the little green square reminds her of the Devon meadows of her childhood, which sparkled with flowers. Esme's home stands in the centre of a quarter of an acre of garden. The cottage, with its small windows and low ceilings, is inconvenient and old.